Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Plugged In. I'm Ellie Mandelbaum, an industry veteran who decided to do more than just listen to podcasts, but actually start one in which I interview people much smarter than me. In this episode, we are speaking with Gary Levitt, CEO and co-founder of Yala, which is an automation and optimization tool for social media. Modernize your social media with just one tool. It's Yala. Build videos, design GIFs, create graphics, and schedule posts at the perfect time and every time. Before Yala, Gary was the CEO and founder of Mad Mimi, which was acquired by GoDaddy for $45 million in 2014 and is now GoDaddy's email marketing platform. A bit more background on Gary as I find his story fascinating. He was born on a remote farm in southern Africa, went to school with Nelson Mandela's grandchildren, was a skateboard pro and a champion, and is a killer bass player, a former jazz musician, and produced a bunch of music for the Oprah show. He left and became a busboy in New York, got married, started Mad Mimi, and moved to Jerusalem. So with that, Gary, welcome to the show, and let's start with a more detailed background on you. So I grew up on a, on a, on a farm that uh, was pretty, uh, pretty isolated from, from friends. So uh, when one lives at a place like that, I think um, one needs to <laughs> occupy themselves. <laughs> so uh, skateboarding and playing the bass guitar, I think, were things that I was able to do by myself. Uh, skateboarding on a little cemented area outside my house and I remember my dad and and my uncle built a, skate, built a skateboard ramp somewhere on the property so I had what to do all day every day by myself skateboarding was first and then music bass playing was, was next I sent a demo tape of myself playing the bass guitar to, to Berkeley College of Music and um, I got a scholarship to, to go there and that brought me to Boston when I was uh, 19 deciding to be a jazz musician really got me to practice uh, a lot so that's pretty much you know practicing 12-14 hours a day at, um, at Berkeley got me to uh, sort of put me really um, intensely into a, a jazz sort of music lifestyle mm-hmm. and from Berkeley went to New York and like all jazz musicians in New York one does jobs that are more menial mine was being a busboy it was my day job night job really because days and nights were <laughs> really everything was busing I think you know I was working again 14 hour days mm-hmm. at the, the, the Blue Ribbon in, in Soho which was a very intense busboy environment which is you know, after you've worked there, I don't think there's, there's anything there's anything more more intensive or more uh, con- like concentrated than being a busboy at the Blue Ribbon. And uh, from there, I started trying to do some commercial music, and that kind of led me to creating a uh, some sort of home backed not home backed but sort of pieced together system to be able to 
send as many emails as possible to creative music buyers to try to buy music because if I could sell some commercial music to ads or radio or TV, it would release me of the obligation to generate all my income from being a busboy. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being a wedding band, um, even though it was appealing, it just didn't, for some reason, nobody really called me for gigs. I think it's because I was probably targeting um, a particular audience uh, that was Jewish and religious uh, to do Jewish weddings with a video of mixed dancing, which is my demo video. I didn't really put two and two together. <laughs> I progressed religiously and recognized the cultural nuances that sort of, um, you know, yeah, exist in that area. And um, got married, started a company, moved to Jerusalem, and uh, I can fill in all the, all the details as we go. Okay, so, so, you know, you were mentioning that you were... You know, um, you know, targeting you know music professionals, and you want to create uh, send as many emails as possible. Yeah. Right. So, did you have coding? Did you do that decoding yourself? Did you just create a simple pl- uh, program where you just cookie cutter and just send emails out? Did that lead you to start the idea of like how did you know you really come up with the idea? I mean, okay. Um, I downloaded a Mac application called MaxBulk. Uh, it was a desktop product that would send email addresses, uh, to send emails to email addresses on a particular list, one after the other. Um, if you used your Gmail address, it would use your Gmail account and you know would block you after you sent more than 100. So you do 100 every hour or 30 every hour, whatever the Gmail imposed limits were 10 years ago. And um, it's funny that I, I, I did purchase a list which is not necessarily recommended for people who are sending mass emails, but I purchased a list of creative directors at advertising agencies and I had about a thousand names and I sent those emails to them. So I spent all day sending these emails. Funnily enough, one of the emails somehow got to the Oprah Winfrey show and I got a call from the Oprah Winfrey show to ask about creating about creating commercial music for their for the show. Strangely enough, I was branding the type of commercial music I was doing as South African vibe commercial mm-hmm. music. Like looking back, it's not necessarily the smartest <laughs> niche to really focus in. Uh, Nonetheless, strangely enough, it resulted in a call from the Oprah show to do a South African vibe commercial music project for the Oprah show for a film that they were doing in South Africa. Um, Talk about Menashe Mine. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I didn't even think twice. It's like, okay, see, South African emails work. Nonetheless, after slaving and producing about 110 pieces of music for Oprah and making very little money, um, about five thousand dollars in total up front. I mean, royalties came years later, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I realized that it wasn't necessarily sustainable. And I was looking at my web provider, which I had registered my domain name with, Media Temple, and they had an, a logo of a, a ruby. Um, and I clicked on the Ruby logo and it took me to a website that said Ruby on Rails, web development that doesn't hurt. And I thought, listen, 
bus boying isn't working out, wedding bands are not working out, maybe I'll try to do web development that doesn't hurt. Make a software application for musicians to get gigs. So I started playing around with a simple graphics mock-up tool that I had at the time, which was Fireworks, an old Adobe product, and mocking up uh, different ideas on what a musician application could look like that would help musicians get gigs and, you know, started exploring the space a little bit. Um, it wasn't necessarily to create an email product. It was to create a promotional software to promote music because after all that was what I was trying to do I was trying to promote promote music and, and make a living so after a little bit of time spent creating a music production product uh, a music promotional product I got in touch with some developers on the internet I, I googled the Ruby on Rails community and there was a website called Working with Rails that was a ratings uh, website that rated the most popular developers in the Rails community. And I started at the top and worked my way down. I started at, the, at DHH, who's the founder of Rails. And he actually, you know, at the time, this is 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, actually, 13 years ago. <laughs> He wrote back and he said he was busy with another project. <laughs> um, I, I wrote to them all. I wrote to 80 of the top luminaries, each one personalized email, um, reading their blogs, reading their posts, appreciating who they were. I spent days just writing one after the other after the other. It's pretty much my formula, just always start on the top and work my way down when it comes to talent and, and uh, stuff like that. Like I, I don't necessarily look in my local... Um, environment I pretty much look for who's the best and most of them don't answer don't respond but I just will work my way down and I got a couple of engineers built a dysfunctional marketing product because I had very little money and after a couple of months I was back at square one except I now knew that I didn't know how to build software and that was really the key to um my next step which was <laughs> learning how to build um, software got it and so um, let's just you know, pretty much go through there so you know you pretty much realized you weren't able to build the software that you wanted so you were back into the drawing board so what did you then do so my first reaction was to blame the engineers uh, they didn't put in enough time. They didn't design the product good. They didn't follow through on their promise to generate a product that rocks the marketplace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And just a bit, the product again was to book musicians with gigs, gigs. right? Yeah. And your thought process: what you take a list and shoot out emails to the people? No, it or? actually didn't have to do with the list. It okay. had to do with a with a with an interface that um, one could drag in MP3s. Uh, images, uh, biography, mm. and create a, a little calendar widget that they could then take that URL and and the system would be pre-populated with venues, uh, contact details, gigs. So I could just kind of like click a button, the 
this online press kit and then go to people and then hopefully uh, the musician that sent this online press kit could then get booked for a Mm -hmm. gig it was very involved to build you had a lot of different personas in the in the the user stories there was a lot of features a lot of product that had to be built and I only had seven thousand dollars um so you know after two months burning through the seven thousand dollars on uh two part-time luminary engineers uh again there 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 was nothing there and the that's how that's the that that was the vision of the product um even though when i built it with the engineers i encouraged them to build a communication platform where musicians could schedule rehearsals with their band and then discuss the rehearsals and upload mp3 so all of a sudden having no experience building software i believed that all the features were were absolutely necessary to the success of the product so my tendency was to really throw in a lot of features and the engineers were simply in the mindset of trying to make me happy by programming all these features eventually they started subcontracting to developers in india and 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 in order to produce the volume of software necessary to fulfill the client's vision um and then when i blamed them for the failure the lead engineer being a luminary decided to call in a software architect uh, to say please help this guy who's complaining at us that we screwed his product the software architect came from Utah to come and map out the product that I wanted to build with me um, for free for some reason <laughs> out of the goodness of his heart yeah, he, uh, yeah I guess he, he, he had a relationship with uh, the, the lead software engineer such that I guess he owed him a favor or something like that but nonetheless I was extraordinarily blessed to have this guy come from Utah to help me map out the product and then which illustrated that such a product that I had in my head could neither be built in a number of months, two, three months, nor be built for seven or 10 or whatever thousand dollars. The minimum that price tag on such a number of features would be a hundred thousand dollars. So I went ahead and raised a hundred thousand dollars and that's all the money I raised for the product. So, okay. So interesting. So, you pretty much mapped it out. It was a hundred k price tag, right? Yeah. And and you raised, uh, and you went on three. So who would you go to? So you had a vision, right? So you already moved on from. Okay, you said, okay, I, this is what I'm interested in. I'm gonna, you know, in a sense, double down. Right? The product didn't work. Yeah. And I'm gonna try to fix it. And now you should fix it. Right. And so you realize, okay, I my savings is not enough. I need to really go big. And you were that confident in yourself that you. You know, said okay. I'm going to just double down, and I'm going to raise the money. You know, when when my alternative is to go back to being a busboy, um, and I have no marketable skills, meaning all I can do is play the jazz bass. Like I can, you know, play a mean McCoy Tyner solo on my electric bass guitar. Like, mm-hmm. who cares about that? In reality, um, I can't go into business. I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about computers, but I'm starting to learn because I'm like somehow engaged in software. My wedding band just isn't happening. Um, really, the only thing that I can do is menial labor. I can cut vegetables. I can clear food away from people's tables that didn't make it to their mouths. Great. But um, 
I had no choice. So and you, you just had to succeed. You didn't have a background in, in, in software talk. Nothing. So you're self-taught. I, I went to school on a farm. I barely got an education. I was the only white kid. Um, I got a... I got a... My highest grade on my report card was a 69% in lower grade math, which lower grade math in Africa is basically if you have serious problems. So you, you, you do lower grade math. Um... That, that's that's what I came with. I had a music school, mm-hmm. which again, you know, doesn't really equate to anything when you're trying to get a job. Uh, so yeah, no no experience whatsoever. Fascinating. And, and so so the hundred k. So where, where did you when you realized okay I got to raise the money? Who, like where did you return to? Any everywhere. Started with family, trying to raise money from family, and that didn't didn't work out. Um, so I started uh, secondary people, you know, those that my family knew who were wealthy or invested in startups. But again, like here I was giving away 25% of the company at a $400,000 valuation, mm-hmm. 400K. And um, how long did it take you to raise it? It took me a couple of months. Oh, right. um, Maybe even a little bit longer. The funny thing is that I... I after the software was architected through this individual that came in from Utah, he created something called a task model, which was a really detailed model of my first couple of milestones. And I sent it around the development consultancies to get a, to get an estimate on, on, on this first milestone, which was a pretty accurate estimate of um, resources uh, that, that would apply to actual software that I needed um, built. So I found a a, a consultancy that said milestone one will cost you $4,000 and it will be delivered in one week and I booked that consultancy for April um, in December I started raising the money and the development was meant to commence in April 10th and I raised the money finally it came through thank God for my father-in-law um on you, December 9th <laughs> on, 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 on August uh, on, on April 9th meaning the, 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 the day the day before the software and it's only because somebody else gave um, a, another family gave, gave a $10,000 investment for 5% of the company um, the, the day before so that so I guess the um, and, and just so, just so you you were when did you get married and also after you moved to you know to Boston or Massachusetts then you I got married in New York. York. Got married in New York. I, I was still a busboy, um, well musician, but jobless dude in New York. Were you religious yet, or were you, were you? I had become religious out of sheer despair. Of, <laughs> just, um, that'll do it to you. They're literally like, turning like, to God. Thank you. Like, um, but I, I, I started putting tefillin on every day. I started wearing a kippah, even though you know I wasn't very educated. Um, and uh, and yeah, that that basically spelled an end to my career in the jazz world because. Um, Religious individuals don't really get on so good with, you know, CD jazz musicians <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the digi clubs. Um, 
So, so yeah, that, that was really the nail in the coffin of my jazz music career in New York. So uh, um, I become observant a couple of years before I got married, which was in 2000 and, uh, I don't know, 2006, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right before I started the company. Yeah, and so... so so you, you raised the funds, right? So you raised the funds. It happened literally closed right by the time you needed it to. And then you started building the product. Yeah. Luckily, according to task model, I learned how to do task modeling, milestones, agile development, started reading. I learned how to do HTML and front-end programming myself. So I did all that myself in order to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, I did all the design, the user interface, all the des- product design. Um, I, I just... just did it, you know, who cares? Like, what have I got to lose here? I mean, were you surprising yourself? I mean, I, 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 what I mean by that is, you know, going back to what you said before, you know, you had an education of lower math and you like, and all of a sudden you're just digging deep and you're just like banging things out, right? From, you know, raising money, which is a milestone in and of itself. Even before, I mean, getting something off the ground is never an easy, it's never an easy task. And a lot of people, I mean, again, you, you I mean, I had lower grade math, but you know, but but I didn't say I was a bad salesman. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so <laughs> correct. So 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 you so the sales side of it, you definitely were able to. You raised the money, and and now you you're you're, you're, you're training yourself as you again being an entrepreneur. You want to save as much money as you can, right? You need to, that money to last yeah. however long it is. Yeah. So you then html programming you know design it also helped me to manage the engineers um i mean this is retrospective perspective but like when i have knowing enough about programming conceptually at least to allow the engineers that i was working with to feel as if I uh, I knew what they were up to. It was productive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it it. I think it generated a decent level of um, risk reduction. Meaning they uh, were working so closely because I was invested in the code to some extent. There was a there was a camaraderie there that allowed me to catch rabbit holes and catch all sorts of uh, diversions from the product vision or the product feature execution etc fairly quickly mm-hmm. so, um, so so how long did it take you from that time to get the product up and running and it still it still isn't necessarily bad Mimi we're not even this we, isn't bad Mimi yet yeah, yeah exactly so let's you know so about four months into the development I was looking at the product and again like I'm thinking like I thought really simply I used to send emails and I got this opera gig from sending these mass emails and I used MaxBark and I had to send a hundred at a time and I had to take a break and then send another hundred and none of the other commercial products that were available and keep in mind MailChimp at this point was a pretty mid-market product yeah. it wasn't for like you know cute little musicians mm. and Constant Contact again was just clunky and ugly and eye contact and all these things were just ugly and these big fat templates or whatever I'm thinking no if I could make 
a solution that was uh, relevant to me, isn't that the simplest thing to do? To just look at what I struggled with, look at the reason why I wasn't attracted to the mid-market products in the category, and you just make that. It's instead of dealing with uh, trying to convince struggling musicians to book gigs, even when I couldn't even guarantee them that they were actually going to book gigs, mm. whatever. I switched directions in the middle and I took my entire interface that I designed for these for this online press kit and I said, maybe we could just make emails like this. No templates, no nothing. Instead of dragging in your bio, it's text. Instead of dragging in the images of your band, it's images. Instead of dragging in MP3s, well, just get rid of the whole MP3 idea anyway. And all we need is just text and images and these little modules. No templates, no nothing. Super simple. I read the 37 Signals book called Getting Real, which is like absolutely a must read to anybody who's generating a software product. I'm not so crazy about their other books. I think that the, that Getting Real really is very, very clear thinking. All about doing super simple way simpler than your competition, less bloat, less features. And um, I pitched that as my as my shtick. You want to use constant contact for million features. And you're going to also have a lot of responsibility with Mad Mimi. Yes, we have way fewer features, way fewer, uh, way less. But we have only what you need and nothing you don't. And you don't have to worry can make an email quickly constant contact and MailChimp etc it takes you a long time mm-hmm. right, and so so when did it launch and when did you so from the launch right so you launched it and when did you start seeing traction happening I launched it in 2008 uh, literally a year after the first line of code was written and um, month one of it being launched an article went live on Mashable and a bunch of people signed up but the first paid customer I think was like a month or two later who signed up for a $5 plan and then like a couple of hours afterwards cancelled their $5 plan I just remember that (laughs) elation and then the deflation (laughs) but then after that you know another customer signed up and I had like one one paid customer a week and then I had two paid customers a week you know five ten dollars how were they how were they finding you I mean, so uh, articles are mashable, and also with email, it's actually pretty easy. You've got that little tagline at the bottom of a, mm-hmm. uh, an email. At that time, it could only send a maximum of about five thousand emails a day. Maybe two thousand emails a day was the maximum the system could send, which is mm-hmm. very different to today. But um, at that time, the system could only deal with very few emails. But who knows how people found me friends also used the product um, most didn't <laughs> and um, I remember thinking to myself if this product could generate $10,000 a month in revenue there's no way I would ever believe such a thing to be able to happen and after a few months not a few months but after a year $10,000 in revenue it was it was unbelievable. I mean, I mean, but you're, you know, you, you were, you know, Ben. Maybe I mean, I remember it. It was the de facto email that many many companies used, 
and individuals. I mean, it was just a very so there had to be like a tipping point, right? Where you're seeing the the money's coming, people yeah, are paying five dollars, but then it's like you're seeing like holy cow, it's picking up, it's picking up, and you know it's really getting traction. And because again, this is yeah. before this is before Mailchimp really took Went over to, to the to the to the end user. Yes. Yeah. 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 After about three years of the product's existence, after the second year, it was already pretty much breaking even. And after the third year, it was pretty much profitable. Um, and then all of a sudden, Seth Godin signed up for a Mad Mimi account, a $699 account, which featured unlimited email. I didn't realize that Seth Godin's unlimited was 350000 <laughs> So I'm like, how the hell are we going to send 350,000? The most I can send is 10,000. And that's, that's, that's how the company grew up. Poor, you know, poor Seth Godin. <laughs> had to deal with... Yeah, um, yeah, I just remember asking Seth. It's so funny. The people who signed up, Seth Godin, Dr. Dre, the Bangles. And I'm communicating with these people, asking them about the authenticity of their list because that was like the protocol and like customer service issues with like Dr. Dre and like an MP and, and MTV stars and so why why do you think they came to you though I mean was it was exactly the product was a fraction of the price oh for, okay as uh, the, the you know the products and uh, it, it, there was some sort of tipping around there but it was never really a tipping point really it was just a very very linear uh, appreciation of subscribers no fancy mechanics not a cent spent on marketing just one by one by one by one and eventually because we were sort of uh, refined by folks like Seth Godin other larger companies came to the product because it was really cheaper than any other product so companies like The Fancy and um larger operations started sending the emails through Mad Mimi you know eventually we were sending 14 million 15 million emails a day uh, now it's even more um, I mean you know so it was an appre- it was an appreciation to it being the least expensive product out there and, 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 and the and the simplicity of it yeah and, and any industrial users using their own each HTML anyway, so we had the option for them to use their own HTML. The deliverability was really good because we were always pretty um, strong and not taking on like commercial senders. So we had a lot of small people using the product and they nurtured uh, our deliverability, which, you know, many points was the strongest on the market, which we would get people's emails to the inbox. Um, now, you know, today it's very, very strong. But now it's much more technical and much more involved, and uh, the relationships with ISPs are are are, are in there. Um, I'm not sure what really tipped it, other than uh, a resonance with a particular type of individual, which is like a neurotic, thirty year old woman that feels like their computer is trying to kill them. <laughs> that is our. Those were our people. Those are your people. Got it. And, and did you start growing your company? Did you scale it up at all, like people-wise, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we had to. It was, we needed more features, so I got more developers. Mm. 
any other role was customer service people graduating to different areas of the company. But effectively, the, the company consisted of me, customer service, and um, engineers. And when there were too many emails to handle, customer service, we never had phone support or anything like that, just emails. So got another customer service person to help. I got them usually for musicians on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who were really sophisticated in their emotional abilities to kind of like correspond and communicate so in sensitive should, ways. Yeah, so musicians are good. Interesting. The best. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they were good. Yeah. And they, they were happy to, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it was... To do customer service. Yeah. It's an adequate job, you know, no better or no worse than working in Starbucks. They can work from home. Um, the company was fully remote, so there were no offices. Mm-hmm. And um, the strangely enough, the retention of employees is close to one hundred percent. And so, so that goes to my next question, right? So, why was it so high, right? What, what like building the community of of your employees? Like, what was the uh, you know the ethos? Like, what what kept in there? In a sense. Um, You know what? I, yeah. I don't want to say that it's like a thing, but yeah, it's something. Yeah, 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 there yeah. were no impositions whatsoever of team building um, at all, ever. <laughs> no team building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much the opposite to how any other company operates, where they do invest in team building, mm-hmm. nurturing team dynamic, nurturing togetherness. Yeah. We did none of it. And it was also completely remote. And therefore, people felt like they didn't necessarily have to be part of a particular space or a particular culture. However, every single little thing about the product was top quality, from the engineering to database consultants to, to everything that we, that we got was always high quality. Um, the way that the insurance was structured for the the, the, the people, the way that the, the, just the environment, all the tools, all the things, we, we just got high quality things, and that's that's it, nothing more than that. Um, people didn't interact, we never had video chat, we never had phone chat, nothing like email, everything was just email, text, that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it remains it's, it's like that today. Interesting, wow, and, and you really you don't hear a lot about it. you don't hear that type of aspect a lot. Um, so, okay, so you know, you're building it up. It's, it's going well. Um, you know, when you, the, you know, at the, at its peak, you know, you know, how many subscribers did you have to it? And the revenue model was subscription. To, to be clear, right? The revenue model was subscription. Yeah, they were around at the peak. There were anywhere between say uh, fourteen and eighteen thousand paying subscribers and there were two hundred and fifty thousand free subscribers. Right now, you know, with GoDaddy I think it's a lot bigger. But um you know that that's really the you know that's where the company got. Yeah and, and so what made someone pay and what free? What was the difference? Uh, a small uh MailChimp, in order to stay competitive, MailChimp had a free uh, plan up to 2,500 uh, contacts. So we, we kind of just try to stay, uh, stay keep pace. With keep MailChimp. pace. With, okay. Yeah. So, okay. 
And and so, like, what was just an idea? Seth Godin's plan, right? So he was the top plan. Yeah. But what was his like monthly bill? He his monthly bill, bill was. Six hundred ninety nine dollars. Six ninety nine for three hundred fifty thousand emails. Yeah, yeah. A month or each. He could send as many as many as, 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 as yeah. <laughs> And when and when did you realize like you were? What was your feeling after you realized? Wow, well, look what I was doing. I mean, I'm not. Even, I'm not even talking about GoDaddy in the picture. Just like, did you take time and stock of what you were able to accomplish and from where you went, or you just I don't like view anything as me accomplishing anything? It's just like. First of all, you know, when, when I'm in any space, it's you're running and running and running, just putting out fires and, 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 and trying to, it's, it's work, like anything. So you, you don't take a break out of work and think, wow, you know, yeah, uh, where am I? Um, there were exciting points. Really, that's where when Dr. Dre sent an email, that, that was really, for me, that's a milestone. It's like, Dr. Dre, like, what the heck is this? It's like, this is dude, like, what I'm sitting here in Israel, Jerusalem, Dr. Dre sending me an email, like, that's so nuts. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Like, yeah. you know, that, that, that's impressive yeah. to me. Or Seth Godin, like, and I'm asking Seth Godin, dear Mr. Godin, like, are you sure all your contacts opted in? Like, because <laughs> it's like, no, Seth Godin, that's great, but what, he, he's, he's, uh, he deserves to get through the authentication process for free. No, I'm going to ask him whatever. whatever. Like, like uh, the, the prime minister going through into a shopping mall and the, the security guard not asking him if uh, he has any, uh, if he's, he has anything in his bag, whatever. Interesting. And, and so, so you, you, know, you moved the company, right? You, 2008, you, you, you made Aliyah, you moved here? Or? I moved here in 2009. But 2009. at that point, the company was pretty much growing by itself. And my brother, at that point, that was living in the States, Dean, who's, who's really the managing the, the new company now. Yala. Yala. We'll get that in a, minute, yeah, in a few yeah. minutes. Um, he, he, he really built out the customer service dimension and, and the company sort of just took its own, its own life. There were no, there were no uh, particular expertise uh, so okay, so got that. So we're gonna wrap up a little bit, um, you know. So you're investors, right? So you, when did you realize GoDaddy was? When did GoDaddy approach you? Uh, they sometime we started dialogue around 2014 uh, time, and it was very civil and really sweet. I mean, there's some really smart people behind GoDaddy um, currently in the. Uh, yeah, um, dialogue was sweet and civil, and, and based on uh, overlap between who our customers were and who GoDaddy's customers were, there was some common customers. When you, you know, after you exited, you know, what did your original investors, right? Just going back a while already, yeah. you came back and said, "This is your, this is how, this is what you're getting back." Yeah. Were they like, "Wow, like dumbfounded," or were they? Yeah, they asked why aren't all my investments like this? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Excellent. So a few questions while we wrap up. Um, Yala is a new company you have, right, focusing on social media. On video ads right now, you know, we're, we're more focusing, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be bringing out a very sweet product that helps small businesses create videos that they can promote on Facebook and social media. Video ads. Mm-hmm. It's really a video ad company um, that we worked really hard on creating 
a very interesting product that zaps the colors out of their logo and personalize, not personalizes, but designs video ads that really match their brand. Excellent. And, you know, um, when you were 15, what did you want to be? Did you want to be Jazzy's Skateboarder. Skateboarder 15. Yeah. Okay. And do you read any books that you recommend? I mean, I know you mentioned Getting Real. Yeah, the other book for anybody creating a startup is um, a book called User Story Mapping by Jeff Patton. Um, Getting Real, User Story Mapping. Um, Seferti Hilim. <laughs> I hear really good folks to be successful in the startup uh, and, and productivity wise is there anything that you do on a daily basis I mean I know davening your prayers are definitely a big but anything like you do that you recommend to other entrepreneurs out there schedule schedule, schedule. Really important to do this, to have a schedule. <laughs> Got it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Yosef. It's been a real pleasure. I, I love the stories. And uh, thank you. And for those who are listening, and I know that my subscribers are growing, feel free to uh, like us on uh, iTunes and Google Play. We're on Spotify as well. Um, thank you so much. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.